grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. It's Jane here, Joe's co-host for the Adopt Perspective podcast. Today's episode is a follow-up to the discussion that Joe recently had with Sue Bond in relation to Sue's experience of not finding out until she was an adult that she had been adopted as a child. Today, we will be interviewing Dr. Helen Riley to further explore what is known about the impacts of this experience, which has been termed late discovery adoption. Helen also has a lived experience of late discovery adoption and completed a PhD on the topic in 2012. In fact, Jigsaw Queensland's president, Dr. Trevor Jordan, was one of Helen's supervisors when she completed this research. This was in his previous role as an academic in the Applied Ethics School at the Queensland University of Technology. We may hear some further commentary from Trevor on this topic a little later in the podcast series. Hi, Helen. Thanks Hi, so Jane. much. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining us to discuss this important topic. Uh, before we discuss your research, I wondered if you would mind sharing briefly a little bit about what led you to this PhD topic. Oh, thanks, Jane, and thanks for inviting me to participate in this podcast series. Uh, yeah, I think no. it's a wonderful opportunity to to get information out there about late discovery. Yeah. Um, I am a late discoverer. I was born in 1953 in Brisbane at the beginnings of the forced adoption era uh, when practices really started to ramp up and increase. Mm. I grew up in a working class family here in Brisbane with an older brother who also turned out to be adopted and didn't know until I told him later. I'd always felt different growing up, like a fish out of water. I was constantly looking for physical similarities, as I could see them so clearly in other families, but not in my own. But I never, ever suspected adoption. I found out at age 21 from my boyfriend while travelling overseas. I'd met him through my next-door neighbours, who had a large family, and my best friend was part of that family. And I found out that they all knew, that they'd always known, and they'd helped to keep the secret. I found out that everyone in the street knew, all the neighbours, all the local shopkeepers, absolutely everyone, including children who were much, much younger than me. And I think probably and possibly the most devastating was that my best friend, who I'd grown up with since we were uh, small, small children, had known her whole life and it kept the secret. And I felt like that was a particular betrayal. Uh, My feelings when I found out 
and I was a long way from home at the time. I was in Singapore. Um, I, my feelings were so intense. I was shocked. I was betrayed, felt betrayed, and I felt like a fool. It's hard to describe to someone else just how much your world gets turned upside down when this happens. It's almost like an out-of-body experience that keeps on going. Eventually, I confronted my adoptive parents. I got my adoption certificate and contacted the state adoption department. I sat in a room with a young man who had my file next to him. I knew my life was in that file, but he kept saying, I'm very sorry, you aren't allowed to know this information. I found this a surreal experience and I felt I really did feel like a second-class citizen, very much like a naughty child being slapped on the wrist. And my emotional state took another downturn at that point. Uh, I went on to find both my biological parents who were married and living together. And this is a little bit more unusual than some of the stories that I've, uh, that I've brought together in my research. Um, they, my father was in his 50s and my mother in her early 40s when she got mm. pregnant. My father had been separated from his first wife for many years, but he was not able to marry my mother until, she, uh, until his wife passed away and she wouldn't divorce him. They felt at that time in 1953 that the stigma was too great and that it was the best thing for me. And I've, that's another thing, of course, is that parents... The adults often justified their decisions based on that this was the best thing for the child, but often they weren't prepared to, they, they couldn't handle the stigma either. So it was very much something that was affecting them just as much as what was, they thought it might affect the child. Yeah. Um, my, and certainly when I went into that, to that process of trying to find my biological parents, I expected to find the story that many have that, you know, that my mother was a young mother, that she would have been 16 or 18, mm. and that I never expected to find my, my father. So that was a shock to me and quite different to a lot of the stories that are out there. So in mm. some ways I was very lucky that I did get to meet both my mother and my father. Um, and they were both accepting and they were both mm. very happy to meet me. Mm -hmm. um, That's great. It was. It was really great. And, but unfortunately, it didn't go particularly well. Mm -hmm. um, and this was not because of them, but because of me. Um, and I, I don't mean that in the sense that I was to blame. Mm -hmm. But I can reflect now and recognise that I was traumatised. Mm -hmm. uh, and I went in with huge and unrealistic expectations. I'd had a very unhappy uh, relationship with my adoptive mother and I had such huge expectations of what my relationship would be with my biological mother and I set myself up very unrealistically at the time but there, there was no one really to help me there was no knowledge there was no information and uh, so I was on my own really and cast adrift mm. uh, many years later I was married and had a young family uh, I should mention that I actually broke contact with them at that point after about a year or so and felt a great deal of guilt about that. Mm -hmm. um, many years later, I was married and I had a young family 
and I started university as a mature age student. I was interested in issues of identity and belonging, naturally enough. I started down that path and ended up exploring adoption issues uh, within the applied ethics discipline with Dr. Trevor Jordan and others. And interestingly, at that time, I had another adoptee who was specialising in adoption therapy tell me that, in her opinion, there was no difference between the identity issues felt by those who'd always known they were adopted and those who had found out as adults. And I was perhaps understandably upset by this. I felt dismissed as if my pain had been dismissed in many ways. Um, and it made me even more determined to understand what the identity issues were um, that, that occurred in late discovery and why I believed it was a qualitatively more difficult and indeed a, a more traumatic experience for those involved. Mm. Um, yeah. And it was right. clear to me then that there was a lot of knowledge to be gained in this area as there was so little available mm -hmm. that had been written on the subject. So I felt very, very motivated to mm. continue down that path. Both for myself, I wanted to understand what I had experienced but I also wanted to use that understanding to help other late discoverers. Mm, that's really great to hear that you sort of took took your own experience and then decided, you know, I want to do something with this that might um, help other people and might help yourself to understand and to, um, I guess, you know, validate that experience because it is hard when, when people around you are saying, no, that's not... Um, not an issue or, or, or not as big of an issue as you feel. So, Well, that's um, right, because you're being, uh, you know, dismissed. You're, mm, you're mm. not being validated. You're having mm. your emotions there and there's absolutely no one out there. Other adoptees mm. understand mm. to a point, but yeah. unless you've been through the experience of late discovery, if you've been through yeah. the experience of having your whole world, basically the carpet ripped out from underneath you. Um, yeah. There, there's, there was just so little information out there mm. uh, at that yeah. time. There was one study from, I think, the from Park in New South Wales Post Adoption Resource Centre. Mm -hmm. They had mm -hmm. put out a small study, and that was really the okay. only thing in the whole world that was available Gosh. on this issue. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I clung to that. I clung to that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then in small ways, I started to do my own research. Before I ever got to the PhD, I started gathering stories and interviewing people yeah. as part of my university studies. And yeah. that then really uh, inspired, well, I wouldn't say inspires the right word, but really mm -hmm. motivated me to, to find out more because the pain that I discovered from those stories was horrendous. Mm -hmm. If I thought my story was bad, the stories of others were, mm. you know, some of them were just horrendous and I was determined to do what I could to mm. to bring light to the subject, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I'll also mention at this point, though, that I mm -hmm. did, in my research, I did include the late discovery experiences of those who've been born using donor insemination techniques. Mm -hmm. And while I can't and don't want to go into that now, there are mm. strong links between the late discovery experience, mm. experiences of adoptees 
and those born through uh, donor insemination practices. Uh, so, you know, if anyone is interested in that link or in those, you yeah. know, they can always uh, look at my research to find yeah. that information. Yep, and we can um, possibly put a link or, or put something up that can help direct people to that. Well, that would be great, yeah. Yeah. Be really good. Yeah, and I mean, I guess this links into, you know, the next thing I was going to ask you because we've heard uh, in the previous episode a little bit about Sue's experience of finding out she was adopted and that happened in the middle of a family disagreement. Mm, and mm. and you've just mentioned that you found out through your boyfriend who, in fact, knew and your best friend who knew uh, more about your own history for many years than you did. And so I'm wondering what other themes you have heard over the years um, about people's stories and, and how they found out. Yeah, well, that was one thing. One of the uh, major themes of my research was trying to draw the links between late discoverers. How much did they have in common? Um, and I, in my research, I came up with three major themes. Um, the first one was um, and which is quite common is something happens within the family that forces their hand um, I've titled this they were told begrudgingly or, or reluctantly um, because events in the family were going to force their hand in one case uh, there was a legal dispute of some kind in which a lot of dirty laundry was going to come out <coughs> Sorry, I'm getting a, a bit of a croaky voice. Here. That's all right. <laughs> um, you know, in, in another uh, situation, um, oh, yeah, no, sorry, I just got a little bit uh, confused there. Um, That's all right. And some, no, it's all right. I just went round in circles a bit in my head. So <laughs> sorry about that. That's um, okay. Yeah, and this is where sometimes just things happen in families where the secret comes out for one reason or another. Um, and sometimes, too, the family just got sick of, um, of keeping the secret and so decided to tell it because they, they just got mm. sick of keeping the secret and perhaps having questions that come up all the time that they had to deflect. So, you know, they're either told begrudgingly or reluctantly. So that was one of the major themes. The next major theme was accidental discovery. And this is a, a very, I find this one a very difficult one too, that they, a lot of uh, late discoverers found out when one or more parent has died and they've been going through the family papers and they've discovered the adoption, uh, adoption certificates in the family papers. Um, then there's other ways through blood tests and medical procedures and, and through genetic, uh, genetic testing. I had one late discoverer who found out through an allergy test, because, mm. of all things, because they mm. found that his blood type mm. was not compatible with either of his parents. Mm. So it can be uh, in a lot of different ways. In another case, a distant family member just assumed that they knew and started mm -hmm. talking about it. Mm -hmm. And another, in another case, a, a late discoverer sent out requests to family members looking for genealogical history information um, as his father wouldn't help him. He got an email reply from a distant relative who he had never met mm -hmm. who said, oh, don't you know you're adopted? Oh, dear. So he, he later found out, and as he put it, he found out that everyone knew 
even those he, he had never met. And he said even the mistresses in that family mm. knew. And yeah. this all compounds this sense of feeling that you've been made a fool of, that, that yeah. uh, you know, and, and that just compounds that sense of being out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, the most difficult of all of the themes, I think, was the insensitive or deliberately hurtful telling. They've been told at funerals by insensitive relatives who just blurted it out literally over the coffin or mm. deliberately told to hurt them so that the relatives can break connections. Uh, and I find this so upsetting. Some yeah. were told that they had never, ex- that some relatives told them that they'd never accepted the fact that there was an adopted child in the family. And now that the parents were gone, they could finally break the connection. And they did this at the funeral. Um, yeah. So, you know, not only have you been through this process, but then you also have this uh, tremendous or this traumatic events happening afterwards. Uh, in another case, a late discoverer's husband told her out of spite after the marriage ended. I've had several stories where the late discoverer's husband had been told by the parents when they married and, he, and then that husband has then continued to keep the secret for up to 20 years into the marriage. And then for some reason or other, has this secret has come out and they find out that their husband has known this information about them and kept it a secret from them. Uh, And this is just uh, the person, one one of the persons I spoke to who had this happen to them uh, was just absolutely devastated. And it was just so hard to understand how people can do this. Yeah to someone they're supposed to love and be in a relationship with. It's bad enough that the parents have asked them to do that, but Mm. then for the husband to go go along with that and keep the secret, it it just compounds the lies and the that sense of betrayal and the sense of being made a fool of. Mm -hmm. So you know, so the secret is revealed in many, many different ways. One thing I think it's really important to note is that while all the uh, the late discoverers were incredibly shocked, mm-hmm. almost all said that once they knew it made sense, that yeah. they'd often felt something wasn't quite right, but mm-hmm. that they had internalised those feelings as there was no openness for this type of discussion in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were always things everyone always says you know, there was always just that little niggly feeling in the back mm. of my mind that there was just something, but I couldn't put my finger on it. But none of them, absolutely none of them ever suspected uh, adoption. Wow. That makes a lot of sense, Helen. People don't expect their parents or their loved ones to lie to them. Well, that's right. And when um, these things happen, the uh, the adopted person, the late discoverer, uh, internalises those feelings. They, it makes them about them, that there must be something wrong with them because mm. they they have no way of exploring those feelings because there's no open communication. Mm. And that's what secrets do in families. They squash open communication. Um for some, this meant yeah. that they thought there must be something wrong with them, something that was different and therefore less acceptable about them. I never found one late discoverer who said they wished they had never known 
although they may wish it on occasion as it's a difficult process. But once people mm -hmm. know, they generally are glad they know because mm -hmm. they know now who they are. But it is a difficult process. On the other hand, and this is what is so, um, you know, so strange, really, the, the families put so much effort into keeping the secret within the family mm. that they often tell lots of other people. Sometimes uh, it's inevitable that other people will know because if the family went through the adoption process, then the neighbours and everything will know about that. Um, but despite that, it's, it's clear from the research that people find it difficult to keep secrets. So they go to great lengths to keep the secret within the family, but they also feel this intense pressure to tell other people. And that's why when the, when the secret comes out, the late discoverer finds that so many other people knew and so many people that the, the parents would never have, uh, have um, you know, it's such a surprise that all these people knew because the parents have talked about it with others but kept such a tight hold of that secret in the family. Mm. And that, that adds so much more pressure within the family um, and it adds, it, it, and that pressure can become really toxic uh, okay. within the family. Um, what I, in a number of cases that I had, the families actually went to so, such lengths to keep the secret that they moved house repeatedly in order mm. to escape any rumours that might get back to the child. Mm. But that would probably be, the, you know, not the majority, that, but that would be some, some yeah. of the parents and that just is an indication of how toxic that secret can be in the family. Wow, Helen, in my role as, you know, back when you were talking about the three different ways that people find out, um, in my role as an intermediary, I've actually been in the situation a couple of times where I've been the person to disclose to someone that they were adopted. And that has occurred because one of their biological family members may have opted to use our intermediary service as a way of reaching out. And then we've outreached to someone who hasn't been told that they were adopted. Um, and I certainly found this a difficult thing to do. And, and I felt, you know, a lot of guilt and um, quite a lot of concern for their well-being. And I guess I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on how the nature of that disclosure can impact the adoptee. Um, because obviously what you're saying is the insensitive and the deliberately hurtful, that's that's probably the most damaging. Mm. But have mm. you got any other thoughts on that? Uh, I do, actually, because yeah. I, I have been asked this question myself. And over the years, I've thought about it a great mm. deal as well. Um, and I think it's a very important question that we do need to, to understand the ramifications mm. of what, whether it's right or, well, the ramifications of not telling as well as the ramifications of telling. And uh, in my view, um, it, it is absolutely the, the right thing to do to, to tell in the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. I do okay. believe that the adopted person has the right to know they, they're living a lie and they are being denied knowledge about themselves, including medical knowledge along yeah. with the ability to make informed life choices other people take for granted. 
they don't know significant information about themselves. So this means that they are making decisions for and about themselves Mm. as if one step behind Mm. everyone else but without knowing it. Um, And nonetheless, you know, it is important that it is done in the right way with empathy, Mm. understanding and support. I believe someone such as yourself is in a much better position to relay this information as you have insight, knowledge of resources and empathy for the late discoverer. I also believe that the chances of that person finding out anyway at some time in their life is high. Uh, The research of evidence shows this and people are finding out later and later in life now in their 60s, their 70s and even in their 80s. So I believe you're fulfilling a an important role and it will be a worse experience for that person if they find out without that type of understanding and support being available. But I, nonetheless, I do understand how difficult an experience <laughs> it must be. Uh, I had to tell my brother and he didn't know and I mm. certainly was not at that time mm-hmm. um, in a position to understand what was going on and I feel yeah. like I did that badly myself even yeah. though I was a late discoverer and I've yeah. always felt badly about the fact yeah. that I didn't didn't do that. So I think it is a very difficult thing, but I think the more understanding and support that is brought to that person at that time mm. um, is very critical and the, the chances that they're going to find out anywhere, anyway are very high. That makes sense, Helen, because I was also going to ask exactly that, that in your experience, if because we might have someone listening to this that knows somebody who's adopted that they suspect doesn't know of their adoptive status. And so I guess that's a, a really important question is in your experience, you know, is there anything that might soften the blow? Um, it sounds like what you're saying is to have some support is very important. Yes, and I think that that is probably the most important thing. And um, If I can, I'll answer this question in two parts because Mm. I feel like it's really important to understand first the type of reactions that people have and why they have those reactions in order to understand what is necessary in order to help them Mm. after that, through that experience. So, um, and I'll look at the reactions that came out of my research Um, And I'll just put in here that I I gathered new stories for my research, but I also looked at all existing stories that Mm. were available at the time. So I had a wide range of stories to look at and I was looking at their reactions to see the commonalities between those reactions. So uh, and there were strong commonalities across all the stories. Um, none of the late discoverers I engaged with had, had any support following, following disclosure, none at all. Oh. It had taken them many years to find answers and help, and they were so relieved to participate in my research for the ones mm. that I gathered stories, uh, as it meant someone actually wanted to hear their stories and mm. listen to their experiences, and they'd never had that before. And after the initial shock, they described what a wonderful relief it was to know or that it made sense of a lot of things that had happened in the past. The the common feelings included being shocked, resentful, confused and alone, 
Some had breakdowns immediately after or many years later. Some tried to act normal while feeling totally out of control. And I'm just taking little snippets and excerpts from their actual yeah. wording here. Yeah. Some felt that they may be made a fool of that, and they became numb, crying, screaming. Mm. Many felt a deep sense of loss and grief. Others felt a primal and unrelenting force propelling them to search, which they found inescapable and undeniable. Uh, many were worried about medical history, as theirs was a total lie. And, in, and one, and this is something that we don't think about so much, one mm. mourned a loss of culture as they mm. discovered they'd had significant Indigenous heritage, although they looked white. Mm. Um, and this, of course, links to Indigenous stolen generation stories. Yes, yeah. So we don't think about that loss of culture. And I have spoken to others who grew up thinking they were, in one case, mm -hmm. Southern Italian and then found mm. out they're actually Northern Italian. Yeah. And within that community, that was a big difference. Sure. That there, were, yeah. there were big, significant uh, cultural differences there. Um, and so they felt like they'd had their culture stolen from them. I grew mm. up in a Scottish family and then found I had no Scottish heritage, even yeah. though I had this incredible feeling of link to Scotland. Wow. And then I didn't know whether I was allowed to have that feeling or not. Uh, I, it's hard to describe, but you mm. feel like you're, you, you're part of something, but you don't have the right to be part of that something. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a strange feeling. So these responses um, can lead me to, the second, to answer the second part of the question, mm -hmm. um, that while I certainly believe secrets are toxic and the person who is the secret should know. I don't believe anyone should take the step to disclose this information unless they are prepared to take action to provide the support that the late discoverer will need. Mm -hmm. I've spoken to and read submissions by too many late discoverers who have been left floundering after discovery mm -hmm. with no information and no support. This compounds the trauma that they've experienced in finding out. Information on adoption, and particularly on late discovery, needs to be available immediately. There needs to be ongoing emotional support um, that needs to be offered and made available, and even access to an adoption support group such as Jigsaw Queensland and others in other states, and or a knowledgeable therapist. Um, I think all of these things need to be part of the uh, support package that needs to be made available so that the late discoverer does not feel that they are alone. Um, this yeah. information can take such a long time to process and can go through many stages, um, stages like grief. And, mm -hmm. and when those, uh, over time, if, if those feelings are not validated, uh, and no support is given, this trauma can turn into post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that that the late, discover, late discoverer is supported. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so, you know, that would be what I would advise, I would strongly advise that, yes, they have a right to know, but they have a right to know in the best way possible. That makes a lot of sense, Helen. <laughs> it really <laughs> does. And, I mean... If those things are in place, um, well, I guess there's no easy answer, but I guess I'm wondering if anything positive at all you know, might come 
out of finding out despite all of that pain and shock and all of the other feelings you described. Yeah, well, that's right. You may not think that there would be anything positive <laughs> to come out of it, yeah. but absolutely there is. Um, and for people who've always known information about themselves, they take it for granted. Mm-hmm. But it's not until for a late discoverer until the point of discovery that they find out that they have not been in control of their own lives because others have been keeping the secret. Others have been in control of of their lives, of who they are and who they will become. Mm. So if you know your biological, social and cultural history, you can become a more fully rounded person Mm. with this information and you can take back the ability to control your own life. Um, And I'd ask the question, how can you be in control of your own life if you don't know your family medical history or your Mm. ethnicity or cultural background, or what traits may be strong in your biological family. These traits may have been knowingly or unknowingly suppressed in the adopted family because they don't value those traits Mm. or they want to suppress difference. It is one thing to have this knowledge removed um, through trauma or accident, uh, for, for example, you know, that you lose family and you lose a lot of family or you, you lose records and those sort of things. One thing for that to happen by accident, it's quite mm. another for it to be done deliberately and Absolutely. taken away from you deliberately. Yeah. Um, so you're actually being under someone else's control and being mm. forced to live a lie about yourself um, for, yeah. all of, for your, all of your life until that point. So... For example, in in my own case, um, and, you know, I do look at my own life as a way of understanding other other late discovery experiences, Mm -hmm. and it has very much driven my research Mm -hmm. of trying to understand my own experiences. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a family, um, a working-class family, who was very much uh, not highly educated and, um, you know, had a love for football, fishing, and that sort of thing, which I also love. Mm-hmm. But I also love different things. I love classical mm-hmm. music. I loved reading. I loved travel. And I loved ideas. I was mm-hmm. very much an intellectual child, you might say. Mm-hmm. And in my family, or particularly in my, with my mother, um, mm-hmm. she thought these things were quite stupid and mm-hmm she actively discouraged my interests in these things as Mm -hmm. silly, as she put it. Mm -hmm. So my adoptive mum only supported me in things that she was interested in herself. Mm -hmm. So I later found out that my my biological mum had had training as an opera singer and that other members of my family were public officials and educators. So the constant downplaying of my interests, even to the point of actively discouraging me from accepting a scholarship at 15, mm-hmm. changed the course of my life. Um, and, you know, some of this was not just because they didn't understand. It was also the the culture of the times where okay. girls were going to grow up and get married. And I was right. told, you don't need a scholarship. You're going to grow up and get married and that's all you need. So it it was double, but there was also very much within the family this idea that they discourage difference. Mm. Um, And you might think that that's just that particular family situation, 
But the evidence is certainly there that many fam families who keep the secret yeah. actively discourage any sign of difference in their child. They, well, yeah. they were led to believe originally in, in the forced adoption period that, mm -hmm. that this, this child would be no different to any mm. child they may have had biologically. Yeah. And yep. this child was a blank slate and yep. that they could imprint on this child and that child would be everything they ever wanted for their own child. So for some, they tried to make sure that the child is not different. So it does not have different interests because by having different interests, it's saying, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's 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 like for that family, it's mm. it's this child is not who we wanted them to be. This child mm. is not us in sure. some ways. Yeah. So the more it you mean acknowledging difference, that. It acknowledges difference. Mm. It acknowledges yeah. the fact that this child might not actually be their child. In, yeah. in every way that matters. So sure. they try to make sure the child is not different, does not have different interests. So, mm. and some of this stems from insecurity, some mm. from being able to control another life's journey and so protect the secret, and some from just not seeing other possibilities of being a, a value, you know, or well, it could be a mixture of all of these. Yeah. What, what you say about control makes a lot of sense because I imagine in order to keep that secret, if, if that's the decision a family's made that we're not going to tell the child, you, you would almost need to have a lot of control in place to maintain that secret. So it well, would right. completely change those relationships. Yeah, it makes a family a very toxic space mm. in terms of communication because sure. certain things are off the plate and any uh, and and late discoverers talk about th uh, this a lot that they would raise certain things and be told Shh, uh, mm -hmm. you know don't oh you know don't want to talk about that that's rubbish so yeah. communication is shut down so yeah. Yeah. and that's when the the uh, the child starts to internalize that and say there's mm -hmm. something wrong with me I'm not allowed mm -hmm. to ask those questions and over time, they stop asking questions. Mm. So, so you know, and you know, there is lots of research there out there which talks about the way in which secrets in families are toxic, yeah, um, and and, yeah. and can and can lead on to a host of communication problems within the family, and with the adopted person unknowingly at the centre. So the yeah. adopted person is the catalyst for this communication these toxic communication problems going on in the family yeah. the family has to always be vigilant waiting for the axe to fall yeah um, my adoptive father collapsed when he found out I knew he oh. was so convinced I would not love him or perhaps wow. even from the emotional shock of keeping the secret and having it exposed yeah. I don't know because he wouldn't talk about it but he physically collapsed so you know you can you can begin to feel and see that the the strain it must put on relationships mm. when yeah. you're not allowed to talk about certain things and, yeah. and there is this shutdown culture. Yeah. The other Absolutely. thing that I strongly believe is it's important when you find out or even before you find out, one of the things mm -hmm. that, that is so critical in families is mm -hmm. the um, for the child, never being around people who reflect themselves. Mm -hmm. So when you meet your biological kin for the first time, you see people for the first time who have your physical traits. 
such mm. as how you speak, how you walk and move, how you look. And that is a profound identity experience and yeah. something that late discoverers have been completely denied. And this in itself has multiple effects on identity development as the person grows, as they've never had anyone around them to reflect themselves back to them. Mm. So, and this lead, can lead to a, a, a very strong sense of disconnection. And, um, and it's one of the reasons that connecting back with biolog biological family after discovery can be so important in helping to rebuild a new identity because you've had your whole life taken away from you, mm. even though people will argue to you and many times, oh, what difference does it make? You've still got your family and they love you. Mm. <laughs> and it shows a complete lack of understanding of, of, of the process and of what's happened. But once you've had that rug pulled out from under you, finding biological family can help to rebuild connections and it's really important mm -hmm. for that and to rebuild a new identity because you've had your identity cracked um, and you no longer know who you are really so you have to rebuild yeah. a whole new identity so having this mm. connection and you know this reflection of your physical and psychological self back to you um, is part of helping to helping you to accept what's happened and and is part of the healing process. So, that, of course, yeah. sorry, yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, that, and this is why it's so important then or so terrible for late discoverers where they may be rejected by some mm. or all of their biological family. Um, yeah. Or they've passed away, and this is a big, a bigger problem now as late discoverers are being uh, finding out later in life that their parents of, or their mother or what have you has passed away already, um, or the information that these people cannot be located or whatever, and that's another layer of trauma that's added on to mm. the experience for them. And I think particularly if they're rejected, that that is a particularly hard blow um, again. Yeah. So, um, and when this happens, whether if they can't find, if they're rejected or they can't find information or the information has been lost or what have you, then they're faced with the denial of knowledge all over again. Mm. So they, they, they're basically um, had denial of knowledge their whole life, then they find out and then they have denial of knowledge all over again. Yeah. And that's when there just can be, for, for some people, just too many blows to take. And, you know, that's why I think therapy and support is so important. Um, and the other yeah. thing too, um, which I think is important, is that sometimes when you do have a successful reunion or uh, or even a partially successful reunion with kin, the, the, the reality of the matter is that you still have your adoptive family uh, unless you've completely broken with them, as happens yeah. in some cases. So you, you, you're trying to deal with a new biological family who all of whom may or may not be supportive You've mm. got an adoptive family who are finding it difficult now that the secret mm. is out. And here are you as this person in the middle trying to 
juggle all these different yeah. elements um, and trying to build connections with a new family while trying to heal uh, connections yeah. with the adoptive family. And for most people, one family is more than enough to deal with. You know, families are complicated and families are hard work. Yeah. And all of a sudden you have someone who, through no fault of their own, is juggling two separate families yep, for sure. uh, and trying to uh, bring those two sides of their lives together in some way. And if you have complications on both sides or rejection on one side mm -hmm. or the other, that just becomes even more complicated. And I think it's, it's, it's very difficult and I think it's a very hard thing to do to ask which, I mean, it happens, is it's mm. that late discoverers have to deal with both of those sides and try and pull all those things together, and it's hard mm. work. And it can be too much for a lot of people mm. and relationships get broken and, and so it can be, so, I, you know, it can be an incredibly difficult experience. I'm not saying it's not rewarding and it's not worthwhile, yeah. but I'm just pointing out that, you know, these are some of the difficulties that late discoverers have to deal with that that perhaps that uh, adopted people who've always known don't have to deal with in in the same traumatic fashion. So having, I, having yeah. therapy, is, support groups and therapy available is very important. And it sounds, Helen, like... Um, you know, back to that question about, you know, if, if something positive can come out of it, well, yes, there, there might be some more open communication and there might be that opportunity for new relationships. But what comes with that is a lot of complexity. And it sounds like there's a lot of different points along that road where things might either uh, go wrong or whether at those points there's chances for helpful things to come in, which might be support and other things. And so I'm wondering, um, as a final question, because we, we've talked a bit and it, we could talk it's going on a bit longer. <laughs> no, it's um, because it's all really important. But I guess I'm wondering what, you know, with, with that difficult journey, what are some things, what are some helpful steps that might help somebody cope with the negative side and the complexity? Yeah, that's... That, that's a, a very important question because mm. we do need to know what is the best way to go forward to help mm. late discoverers and for late discoverers to help themselves, which is more important perhaps because they need to be in control mm. and they need to be helped to be in control. Mm. So, um, so they need, from my research um, within the applied ethics area, there were, um, I came to the conclusion there needed to be three main areas of support mm -hmm. or three main areas of work needed to promote the deepest possible healing mm -hmm. so that late discoverers can move forward with their lives and deal with the complexity of what's happening mm -hmm. with their lives. So, And these, these three things are, are linked together, of course, mm -hmm. um, and they affect identity relationships and values and they're they're the three main areas and it it, involve, it involves everything about who you thought you were who you mm -hmm. were in relationship to others and who you mm -hmm. will be in relationship to others after and where you fit in society and culture mm -hmm. it's it 
it's not just an individual experience with individual psychological harms coming out of it. The effects are much more widespread and therefore the healing must encompass a much larger canvas. That's not to say that individual psychological harms don't occur because they do. What I'm saying is that it's not just about individual harms. It's not just about the individual experience. It's about a much wider framework than that. And the first thing that needs to happen, um, uh, well, I call these three these three areas voice validation and vindication. And the first area of voice is where we must allow late discoverers to express themselves. When they need to discuss their feelings, they need to express their feelings of betrayal, anger and resentment, their grief and sense of aloneness. They've, they feel betrayed by those closest to them, the people they thought loved them the most. So the sense of betrayal is enormous. So how can they express themselves? Sure. So they can do this through talking to sympathetic others, engaging in support groups, writing stories, engaging in therapy. Um, even if someone found out many years ago and they haven't been given the opportunity to to talk to others just by opening up and being listened to, by being able to talk about the experiences, they can begin to heal. Being able to speak honestly with their adoptive family is probably the most critical feature initially, but in many, many cases that doesn't go well. So then mm. the feeling of alienation and aloneness continues to grow until they do find some some area, some place and some people who will listen to them. Mm. Um, the second area is, is that follows on from voice is validation, and this is the flip side of voice. That is that others mm. must listen to them and try and, and try mm. and understand what the feelings are, to not dismiss or disregard the feelings and opinions being expressed. And to facilitate avenues for late discoverers to be heard and validated. That is why it is, can be so devastating for a late discoverer to be rejected by their adoptive family after the secret is out. Mm. And then sometimes also by their biological family. Yeah. Um, you know, some late discoverers are, are unable to make contact with their biological family for many reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, getting validation may not come from family but they need yeah. to get it from somewhere yeah um, and if they can get it from the people closest to them well obviously that is the best initially yeah, that makes but sense. yeah yeah um the third area is vindication and this okay. is um so we're talking voice validation vindication mm -hmm. now vindication is a is a much less widely recognized element of healing um because it deals with recognition um, from mm -hmm. government, through changes to laws and social service practices, through, uh, through acknowledgement that what occurred was wrong and should not occur again, um, and that those affected should be helped through recognition of the wrong done and through changes to law and policy. Many late discoverers feel betrayed by the instruments of government who changed birth certificate and kept the secret, um, legally kept the secret, from them. Um, they also, in some cases, are felt betrayed by, by their churches where mm -hmm. ministers and priests knew um, but mm -hmm. didn't tell them. 
uh, and supported their parents in keeping the secret. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are many bodies uh, out there in society who have been part of keeping the secret. It's not just been the individual and the family. And so vindication involves having that recognised at a mm-hmm. higher level mm-hmm. and having laws changed and having it recognised. And this is where the forced adoption apologies are very important for a lot of people because it is the government coming out and saying we got it wrong Mm. and uh, we shouldn't do it again and we're going to help you to heal by giving more funding and that sort of thing so yes you know vindication is is a very powerful tool it also on a less probably obvious level it Mm. makes the issue um much more broadly discussed so that late discoveries who maybe have not been in contact uh, with anyone who can help them for some reason, it yeah. gets discussed in the public sphere. Well, and that's all of the sudden, very true. All yeah. of a sudden they say, oh, I'm not the only one out there. Yes. Um, you know, so it has a much, and, and if it's only kept within families and yeah. small-scale social circles, there are plenty of people out there who don't, have the ability to to meet or to reach out and having public apologies, having these things done on a much broader level brings them into the fold, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense with vindication because if we just look at things on a personal level and personal support and personal healing, which is very important, but if we don't look at um, what needs to change at a systemic level, then we're just, we're not really... Um, solving anything or changing anything. No, no. It, yeah. remain, it remains all about individual harms yes. rather than the fact that this is a social problem. Yeah. It should, be, it should be dealt with in a social way. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. Or a systemic way, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. 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 Well, look, thank you so much for your time today, Helen. I think a lot of people are going to benefit from hearing about this topic, not just late discovery adoptees but everyone involved in adoption you know other adoptees and and parents that you know might come to understand this experience a little bit better so thank you so much and And, well um, thank you so much for listening to me and I hope that I haven't um you know gone on too long and uh no so you know thank you so much for giving me the opportunity obviously this is a very important issue to me and and you know, I'm grateful for any opportunity to, to help others there to understand yeah. the issues involved. To share and, and again, to validate, which is yes. you know, part of what you were talking about, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yes, yeah. that's right. So, thank you, Helen. Okay. Thanks, Jane. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313, or you can call Jigsaw on 07 3358 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. 
A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Mm-hmm.